Uh, we continue this morning in our study in the book of Colossians. We have reached chapter 2. And uh, we are going to talk today about you are complete in Him. You are complete in Him. Who's the Him he's talking about? Jesus Christ. There was this man called Epaphras. Now, people say that he is the one who started the church, uh, maybe in Laodicea, down in Colossae, in Hierapolis. And he went to Paul while he's in prison. And when he came to Paul, he said, Paul, this is wonderful, great news. These three churches, maybe they are sister churches of each other, we don't know. But it's going well there. They are praising the Lord. They are worshipping. They are doing it like they are doing it in Karam Downs. They sing songs to God and we are preaching the word. But, sharp contrast, there are these dangers coming in. Now why Epaphras went to him, I can only imagine that he wanted to be strengthened by Paul. That he listened to Paul when Paul proclaimed the gospel. And here is the problem that came into that area, into that whole region there. Gnosticism. People who want to give Jesus plus, that short little plus at the end of Jesus. It started to infiltrate the churches. And I showed you the last time when I preached the sermon that there was a letter also sent to the church in Laodicea. You remember, remember that? And maybe the philosophies has already infiltrated the church there so that when they received the letter of Paul, which he instructed to be read through all of the region, that they started to change the words. Maybe they had the letter in front of them and they said, no, 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 we don't agree with what Paul said here. We've got revelational knowledge, more knowledge than Paul. Let's change it a little bit. And now we find that the letter to the church in Laodicea is not in our Bible. Have you noticed? He wrote it at the same time that he wrote the letter to Colossa. But we don't see that letter. So I want to suggest to you this morning that, that maybe the philosophers and the Gnosticists and the Isists and Sisists and all Isists involved in that got a hold of the gospel and watered it down like in our day. This is no new thing. So he's, he's sitting there with Paul and he says, Paul, I'm, I'm here with you. We are so grateful, but there's this danger. Who knows that the enemy wants to destroy? He sees the work of God and he will come in. And he doesn't come in in his full armor. No, no. He comes and he infiltrates in softly and tenderly, with stealth. In, in, in the book of Galatians, he uses that term, that term, stealth. You know what stealth is? That is where the Americans make their stealth bombers. You don't hear them, you don't see them, until they hit, and then it's too late. And so, they come into the church slightly, and slowly, and softly, and like I've said in the previous sermon, they target the young sheep who do not know the Word of God. They target them. They won't walk into a church and take on the pastor. No, they won't. I'm talking about Bible-believing churches, by the way, who preaches the Word in, in spirit and truth. That's what I'm talking about. They won't go up to the pastor or to the eldership 
They won't go on to see a brother who's been reading his word sitting in church. No, they go to the new ones. And they deceive them. So, this most probably happened to the church. Not yet, not yet, in Colossians. So, let's, let's see what is the end then of Laodicea. Because the same warning as today to the church in Karim Downs came to the church in Colossae, came to Hierapolis, which we haven't heard of, and came to Laodicea. Where do we find Laodicea again? You tell me. In the book of Revelation. You remember? And what is that letter then from the Lord Himself to that church? There's two letters that were sent to that church in Laodicea. Two. One by Paul, which was a warning, and a second one by our Lord Jesus Christ Himself in the book of Revelation. And what did He tell them? He said, you are lukewarm. This is what philosophy does. Listen, listen, my friends, this is what Christ plus does. It waters it down. It makes it lukewarm. And this is the evident danger for you and for me in the days that we are living. 25 years ago, when, I, when the Lord saved my life, miraculously out of a cult, and I've heard sermons about how these days will arrive. I never thought it will arrive where you look at the gospel being so watered down as it is today. I never thought it would happen. But He's there. And thousands and thousands are listening to it and they don't know what they're listening to. And here is the warning. This morning, Paul is going to tell us that we are complete in Jesus Christ. It is not Christ plus. Neither is it Christ minus. No, no. It's only Christ and Him alone. Now let's read about this passage in Colossians 2 verse 9. It says there, For in Him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. How wonderful is that? In whom? In Christ. He writes this to them. He talks about the fullness. It's the same word that the Gnostics use. They say to you and me, you need to become full. You're not full yet. You need to be filled up. That's the message. And here he says that in Him, in Jesus Christ, dwell all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in Him. That's our message this morning. Who is the head of all principality and power, in whom also you are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, in putting off the body of sin of flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with Him in baptism, in whom also you were raised through the faith of the working of God, raising Him from the dead. Raising Him from the dead, praise the Lord. And you, verse 13, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, He has made alive together with Him. And somebody ought to shout hallelujah. Come on, people, we're in a church which is alive. We're not dead. Are you dead? If you're dead, you don't belong here. You belong at the graveyard. Amen. There it's silent. We're alive, brothers and sisters. And why are we alive? We're not just only alive in our bodies. We're alive in our spirit, made life by Him. Let me read that again. 
without emotion. <laughs> Verse 13 says, And you being dead in your sins and uncircumcision of the flesh, He has made alive together with Him, having forgiven you all trespasses, praise God, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and has taken it out of the way. Nailing it to the cross. Having stripped the rulers and authorities. Man, I just got to contain myself not to get so overly emotional with this. He has stripped the rulers and authorities. He made a show of them publicly. Where was that? At the cross. When they thought they had the biggest victory of all. He made a show of them. What happened the day at the cross? Come on. He stripped them of their power. Death, where is your sting? He having stripped the rulers and authorities and made a show of them publicly, triumphing over them in it. This is a powerful passage. This is the cross of Christ. Heavenly Father, as I'm preaching now this word, I want to ask you, Lord, to help me. Help me, Father, to give this message over the way that you want these people to hear it. Not my thoughts, not convincing words that I can think out, not me trying to sound clever or anything, but in the simplicity of your word, Father, I pray this morning. And I thank you, Lord, for the public reading of your word. If I go home now and say not a word further, Lord, your word has been spoken and your spirit is working in Jesus' name. Amen. He talks about the fullness of God who dwells in Him. What does this fullness look like? Have you ever thought about that? What is the fullness that he talks about there? The fullness of, of that dwelt in Jesus Christ of the God, it, it was bodily in Christ, in Him. For you to understand that, you'll have to open up your Bible with me now. Because I just this morning, it's not on the board. This is what I like to do. I, I, I trust in the Holy Spirit. And He's bringing Scripture verses up, which I haven't got on the board. That's why you have to bring your Bible to church. Because I might surprise you like now. 1 John, or John chapter 1 verse 14. I want to just show you what this fullness looks like. What is, what is Paul talking about when he says that the, the fullness of God bodily was in Jesus Christ? You see, the Gnosticists believe that it wasn't the body of Christ that was on the earth because He was good and pure and all matter is evil, and he couldn't come in the matter of evil. But what they missed is one of the names of Jesus is what? The Son of Man. Have you noticed that? The Son of Man means that he is the connection between heaven and earth. Jacob was sleeping at Bethel, and what was in his dream? He saw what? A ladder? Up to heaven. And what happened? The angels came and ministered. Who came and ministered? The angels. But when Jesus Christ came, He became that ladder. 
between heaven and earth. This is why he calls himself most of any other title in the Gospels. What? Not the Son of God, which he is. But he calls him, when he expresses, listen to me, when he expresses himself to the people, he says, the Son of Man. The Son of Man. Which is that connection between heaven and earth. Praise God for the Son of Man. Otherwise, you and me were lost today. So what is this fullness then? In uh, John chapter 1 verse 14, we read about this. He says, and I love to go two verses before that, if I may. I was going to do it anyway. In verse 12, he says, But as many as received him to them, he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor the will of flesh, nor the will of man, but who? But of God. We are born not by our own will, but the will of God. Now he says in verse 14, John 1, 14, And the Word became flesh. Who's the Word there? Jesus Christ. And dwelt amongst us. And we beheld His what? His glory. The glory as the only begotten of the Father. You see the Son of Man. Now what is He full of? He was full of grace. And He was full of truth. Now, let me just say, when Paul writes this down, the fullness of the God, he came and lived with us bodily. The full grace of God came and lived with us in Christ Jesus. So much grace was in him that he went all the way to the cross. All the way, Glenn, all the way to the cross. Why? Because he was full of the grace of God. He wasn't just trying to be filled up. No, no, no. He was full. The fullness of the grace of God was within him so that he can die for us. Do you understand what I'm saying? Do you understand the weightness of the impact of that? Not only that. Because other people might claim that they've died as martyrs for a cause, can they? Yes, they can. But he was not only full of grace, he was also full of truth. He was full of truth. In him bodily that dwells, Paul says. Before this passage, Paul warned them about things that they need to be aware of, the church in Colossa. He says, beware of philosophy. Philosophy, that love for knowledge. Beware of that. Beware of vain deceit, he said to them. Beware of the traditions of men. Uh, the rudiments of the world. You remember those? Uh, in fact, what he said, if you want to summarize this passage here, he says that you don't need any of that. It is Christ and Christ alone. If there's one thing you remember when you walk out of this place this morning, remember this this morning. It is Christ alone. It is not the church you belong to. It's not the pastor you follow. It's not the eldership. It's not whatever program you want to do. It's not whatever book you want to read. It's not whatever diet you want to follow. It's not whatever what you want to do. It is Christ and Christ alone. Remember that. If you hear anything that adds more ingredients to that, it is false. I'm not going to beat around the bush. You know me like that. 
I'm going to say it as it is. If anybody adds to Christ, it is a false religion. And you need to run until your legs run as short. You know, you know that when you run, you've got tall legs, and you run so far that your legs get shorter. Run away. It is Christ and Christ alone. Listen to this. Christ represents the total fullness of God. I can repeat this over and over again until we get that. He represents the total fullness of God. But not only that, also His all-sufficient fullness of life and salvation. He's everything you need in life. Everything. My sister, when you testified this morning, is everything you need. You don't need anything but Him in life. I see so many people throw away time and time and time of valuable time following and chasing after stuff to fill a void inside of them. If only they can realize there's only one who's going to replace and fill you up, it's Christ. Because in Him dwells the fullness of God. How privileged are we then to sit here this morning and we call ourselves, listen to this, Christians. Do you call yourself a Christian this morning? If you call yourself a Christian, then you say you're a Christ follower, then you say you are filled up with Christ, and if you say you are filled up with Christ, in Him dwells the fullness of God. You don't need anything else but Christ. So what have we learned this, this Sunday, when, on Wednesday, when somebody asks you, what, what could you remember of Sunday's sermon? What are you going to say? It's Christ and Him alone. That's good to remember, isn't it? You see, Paul did not preach an imperfect Christ. He preached a perfect Christ. But there's these people. Now, the question is, why would you want to substitute Him? So they do, and He warns them. <coughs> he warns them. He says to them, this is the whole summary of chapter 2, by the way. He says to them, let no one deceive you. In other words, somebody comes and says, Christ plus. Let no one deceive you. In verse 4 he says, And I say this, that no one should beguile you with enticing words. And we saw that they come in religious systems and leaders who are so charismatic. So charismatic. And you know what they do? They substitute Christ with a charismatic leader. They're following a leader instead of Christ. They're following a religious system instead of Christ. We were there in Japan. We went to some of these uh, 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 places of worship. And it's amazing. Friends, I'm telling you, my heart was broken because there's how many? 38 million people in Tokyo. We went to one of these, these temples. I've got the video and, and I've got the photos. And you see these people coming into this one area and there's, there's water there. And first they have to throw money. There's always money involved with religion. Always. And they take their money and they throw it in there in one area. And then there's this water there and they've got a scoop. And they scoop water out and they put it in their mouths. And they mangle it in their mouths. Then they spit it out. And then they <laughs> clap three times. All of them. And then they bow. And I thought, all in vain. All in vain. That's a religious system. They were deceived. These people come and they deceived. 
I, I went to Mount Inari, if you want to go and check it out. Inari is, is in all the magazines, is where they built these shrines, and the shrines go all over the mountain. I, I asked the Lord to give me strength to walk up to the top of the mountain, and I did. I did. And, and, and every single few places, you come out there, and there's these places of worship, and they've got these small shrines there. And you know what? I walked through there, and I go, Get lost, Satan! I, <laughs> no, I didn't. <laughs> <coughs> <laughs> but, but you know what? I walked up there and, and it's dead. The only life that I see there is these worshippers who come religiously up there. And, and there's one place and there's this bell and you have to ring the bell. Tong, 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 and I go, what? But you see these people were deceived. Now Paul warns these people here in Colossa. He, he says, watch out. That people bring you into some kind of religion. And, and to be honest, we need to be careful as a small church like we are. You know, we can become a religion right here. We don't have to ring bells or drink water and spit it out. Well, that's, that's ugly stuff. But if we come into this church and say, this is our form. We do our church like this. First we pray, then we sing, then we do this, and then we do that. Now, if next week we come in and I say, look, we're going to have a prayer meeting. We're not going to sing this morning. Is it going to affect you? Is it? I did it once in New Zealand. Walked into the morning and the Lord laid it upon my heart. There's not going to be singing this morning. Oh, you can't have church without worship. Oh, that's unheard of. Well, I want to tell you then that singing and worship has become a religion to you. Watch out. It is Christ and Him alone. Friends, worship, this singing here, this, this all, is what we do to worship God. He created us to worship Him. It's not for you and for me, it's for Him. Oh, I've listened to you this morning. You're a little bit off key there, brother. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, next week we'll buy another key. <laughs> See if that fits. <laughs> And people get so upset about the worship. And you know what? They, they leave churches for the worship. They leave it. Oh, no, no. We want to go to the church with the hop and hop and hop. Have you seen those churches? Oh, they are so vibrant. Ooh. But it becomes a religion. Because if you can't do without the worship to follow Christ, it's a religion. He says it's Christ alone. He says, watch out that you not be deceived by systems and also by charismatic leaders. And I, I've preached that sermon. I'm going to preach it over. He's also said, let no one cheat you. Cheat you. Verse 8, beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after traditions of men, rudiments of the world and not after Christ. You know what it is here? They cheat with philosophy. You remember that means a love for knowledge. Oh, you know what? We have revelational knowledge. You can study the Bible for 20 years, but we've got something more. We know more than you and better than you. The Lord just last night told me. He sent me three angels and they sat at the, at the end of my bed. When I woke up, there's this light in the room. Look, I'm not taking a joke of these people. If God sends angels, and He does, to visit people, praise the Lord for that. But what I want to say this morning, it's Christ and Him alone. Him alone, Son of Man. And also through traditions. Oh man, we can, we can talk the whole day about traditions, can't we? Can't we? Not only that, he said, no one, let no one judge you. 
Let no one judge you. We'll talk a little bit about this next week, but it's in verse 16. He says, Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of the holiday or a new moon and Sabbath days. Oh, have we, we, have we heard about these new moons recently? The blood moon and the super blue blood moon and the world's going to come to an end and hello, here we are still here waiting for the Lord to come. I don't wait for a blood moon to come. I wait for the Lord to come. And if you get excited about black moons, that's fine. Go out at night and go watch them. You know why I watch it? Because I see it as the creation of God. And I look at it and I say, wow, how wonderful is God that He has made that. It blows our imaginations when we look at that. But for God, it's nothing. Have you seen the universe? Have you traveled beyond everything you can travel and see what God has done? Look, a black moon would not be even a speck to what's out there. No, no. But he says, let no one judge you about these things. What means? It means that people will come to you and say, well, you better bow down or you better follow this diet. Otherwise, you won't be in heaven, brother. Not only that, he also says, let no one defraud you. You see the words as he used here? Deceive, cheat, judge, defraud. That is what false teachers do. That is their modus operandi. That is their agendas. Like I said before, they won't walk in and take the pastor on or the eldership or the staff. No, no, they go to the young sheep and they do these things with the young sheep. Oh, that church that you are with, they don't believe in this special diet. That's why they don't get revelational knowledge. But if you follow this diet, you're going to lose weight. That's a plus and that's a good thing. Especially after Japan, I need that diet. But not only that, God is going to bless you so much, He's going to give you revelational knowledge. He says it there in verse 18, He says, Let no one defraud you, let no man beguile you of your reward in a voluntary humility and worshipping of angels, introducing those things which He hath not seen, vainly puffed up by His fleshly mind. You see, this comes through mysticism, which has entered the church today, and the doctrine of experience. Have you experienced the Holy Spirit? We'll talk a little bit about that when we get there. But what does Paul say out of all of this, this morning? Come on, you should know it by now. It is Christ alone. It is Christ alone. In the last message that I preached, he was talking to them about the headspace. The philosophers will come in and they will attack your headspace. Your knowledge bank. That's where they will attack you. That's where they will talk about things. Today when we talk, we're going to talk about the heart space. He talks to them now and he warns them about the heart space. Colossians chapter 2 verse 9, he says, For in him dwelleth the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him. The word there for complete, or for fullness there, the word for fullness there comes from the Greek word pleroma. pleroma and that means the sum total of all that God is. Listen to this. The sum total of all that God is. Can you imagine that? Let me tell you, just, just as polite as I can, and, and you might come and, and, and you know, come afterwards and tell me, but as polite as I can say it this morning, you haven't got 
knowledge about God as in His fullness. He says the sum total of all that God is, all of His being and attributes, whew, that's big, that dwells with whom? In Christ. When He was on this earth, He was God with us. You remember in Matthew chapter 1, 23, what did He say? He says, Behold, a virgin shall be with a child and shall bring forth a son, and his name shall be called Emmanuel. You know what Emmanuel means? Which means God with us. I love that song. I, I need to ask Leonie to get that song for us to sing next time. Emmanuel, God with us. He was God with us. In Him dwells that fullness. How wonderful is that? Now look at this. It says, you are complete in Him. Do you see that? In what tenses are? It is present tense. It's not past tense. It's not you were complete in Him. It's not future tense. It's, it's not you shall be complete in Him. One of the most dangerous teachings that I find in the churches today is that you are still you are still growing. And yes, we are. I know that. And, and, and I can tell you, we need to grow in grace. But what they say is you are becoming a better Christian. This is the danger here. The tense here is you are present tense. Listen, I, I want you to understand this because there is so much falsities going on around this. This is why they can so easily come and say it's Christ plus all of these other things will make you a better Christian. Paul says it's not that. He says it's Christ alone. And he puts it in these words for a purpose. He says, for in Him dwell all the fullness and you are complete in Him. In other words, if we are complete in Christ, we are complete in what? In the fullness which is in Him. Think about that. And he, and, and he puts it in the present tense, in this tense that we are looking at. The tense here is the present. The Greek verb here indicates that it's a permanent experience. It's permanent. If you're in Christ, in the fullness of Christ, as He's in the fullness of God, you don't need anything else. You know, don't need to be filled and filled and filled and filled. Uh, look, I'm not talking about baptism in the Spirit. We'll talk about that at the latter stage. But he says the day when He saves you and His Spirit comes and lives inside of you, you've got the fullness of God in you. Now, I'm not preaching. Listen to me very careful. I am not preaching sinless perfection here. And this is not what Paul is saying here. All he's saying is that this is inside of you. Now, let let me explain this to you. When a person is born again, he is born complete in Christ. He's born complete in Christ when you are born again. You remember when Nicodemus came to Christ in John chapter 3? And he wanted to talk to him about the miracles he did. And Christ said to him, you must be born again. Now I read to you that passage in John chapter 1 verse 12, which means that we are born from... Above. It's not of yourself. It's of Him. So when He borns you, He borns you completely. 
There's nothing lacking. This is what it is. You are complete in Christ. Spiritual growth now is an addition. It's not by addition, but it's by nutrition. What is addition is you add on. You always add a little bit more on. Now it's a special diet. Tomorrow is you have to pray every morning at 6 o'clock. Man, if you pray at 5 past 6, God won't hear your prayer. And if you eat carrots next week, forget it. Forget it. No, no. Listen to me, friends. Spiritual growth is not by adding stuff on. Oh, now that you're saved, you have to attend Bible studies. You have to. Look, it is good to attend Bible studies. But listen to me. It's not going to change anything about your born again, being born again in the fullness of Christ. What is Bible studies going to do for you? It's going to grow your knowledge about Christ. That's what it's going to do. But it's going to add nothing to your salvation. Oh, you have to come to prayer meetings now, and we're going to tick it off on a register. If you miss one prayer out of ten, oh, you've got to start at number one again. Until you get a set of ten. Man, you know, we can laugh about it, but it's true. I know churches doing it. If you, if you do the ten prayer meetings in a row, you get a tick, you get a little stamp, and man, you've made it to that level, and now we start with the next ten. You know why they do that? It's to fill the chairs. Hello? And it becomes a religion. And they follow man instead of God. No, no, no. Spiritual growth is not by addition. It's by nutrition. It is nothing needs to be added to Christ because He's already in the fullness of God. Now what happens, listen, and I've seen this in my life so many times, now what happens, He grows from the inside out. Now you see, look at somebody and you say, is that man, is that the same guy I went to school with? He was so filthy at school. He was such a rough diamond at school. Look, he looks so more beautiful. He's still the same on the outside, okay? But there's something about him. Have you, have you seen that in people? It comes from the inside. There's nothing you can add from the outside. You have to understand it. The, the philosophers and the Gnosticists come and they say, man, you've got to sit there and you've got to empty yourself out. And the first thought that lands into your mind, that's a thought of God. That's dangerous, by the way. Contemplative prayer. Now, as the believer draws on Christ's fullness, he's filled unto the fullness of God. Ephesians 3, verse 19 and to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you might be filled with the fullness of God. But you see, there's people who say that you need more. Gnostic legalism said that the, the Jewish law would help the believers to become more spiritual in their day. And the Old Testament laws. They say if you were circumcised, and if you, if you watch your diets and you observe these holy days, that you will become part of a spiritual elite if you do these things. And let me tell you, it's, it's entering into the churches again. The Old Testament is only a shadow of the New Testament. Let me say that. Now, I'm not throwing it away. No, by far not. I'm, I'm telling you now, I, I've thought about it over this time in Japan. We've been preaching in the New Testament for so long. I, I want to go back and preach an Old Testament book. Yeah, the Old Testament is still part of your Bible. But let me tell you what we're going to see in the Old Testament. Christ. 
and Him alone. Oh, look, I can preach about the feasts. I'm happy to go back to the feasts and preach them to you, out of the Old Testament. But I'm not going to preach to you that we need now to observe those feasts. No, we don't have to observe those feasts. They were given to the nation of Israel for a starter to observe, but secondly, those feasts is showing towards Christ. So, let me preach to you the feasts, but what are you going to hear? Jesus Christ. The feasts were the shadow of the substance. But now you get people, Christian churches, who go and they say, oh, you know, we need to become more spiritual. Let's start to observe the feasts again. Not this church. We will never do that. If you want to do that, get another pastor. I won't do that. No. It's Christ and Him alone. Uh, Now, let's quickly look at the circumcision now because these these Gnosticists came out and these Jewish people came into the church and they say you have to be circumcised we all know what circumcision is it's cutting off the foreskin of the male okay and God instituted that for the Jews back in the day he said to them he gave it to them and there was a special reason for doing this now people were coming in and say you can't be and they did it in the day of Paul you remember when they went up to the big church in Acts Titus was there, Paul was there, Timothy was there. Titus wasn't a Jew. And they said, look, what's going on here? Even Peter fell for the trap at some stage. So that Galatians had to be written where Paul spoke to Peter. Where they said, no, 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 you have to be circumcised, you males. Then then the blessing of God will come through. And Paul said, no. The church decided not to do it by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But this... Excuse me, continued on through the church history, trying to get back under Christ plus the law. In Deuteronomy 10 16, God already in the Old Testament showed to them the substance in the New Testament. He said, Therefore, circumcise the foreskin of what? Of your heart. And be no long stiff necked. Oh, there's so many stiff necked people. Have you seen them? Do you know what a stiff neck can look like? Oh, they are like this. Proper, prim and proper, you know. We are still, I'm not going to bend my neck for you. There's so people like that in the church. <laughs> he says, do not be like that. No, no. Stiff neck people is not humble. He says, but if you are cut in the foreskin of your heart, you will become humble. You won't be stiff necked again. It's Jeremiah 4 verse 4. Circumcise yourself to Jehovah and take away the foreskins of your Heart, men of Judah and people of Jerusalem, lest my fury come forth like a fire and burn so that no one can put it out. What is this talking about? It talks about being born again. It talks about repentance. You see, their foreskin, their circumcision was in the flesh. It was an obedience to God. This one is in the spirit. It cuts you by heart. Romans 2 verse 29. And he is a Jew who is one, in, not one is inwardly, sorry, and circumcision is of the heart in spirit, not in letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. Now let me finish by doing our exposition of the passage quickly. When we are circumcised in the heart, there's four things that we hold on to. Four things. First of all, it says... In Him. In whom? In Him. 
also you are circumcised by the circumcision made without hands and putting off the body of sin of the flesh. You see, it's Christ alone He's telling them. In Him, we are circumcised in Him. Look at that passage there. He says, circumcise yourselves to Jehovah. To Jehovah. Circumcise yourselves to Him. Here, He writes to them. He says, in whom? In Christ. Also, you are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. What does that mean? Friend, when you are circumcised by the heart, you've got nothing to do with it. Nothing. When you are circumcised in the flesh, there's a physical thing that happens with the hands. Your salvation has got nothing to do with you. It's all Him. It's He that saves you. It's not when you decide you come to Him. Oh, wait a minute, now you, you're getting touchy, brother. Wait a minute, I gave my heart to the Lord. Yes, I know we all say that, but you didn't. He compelled you to submit to Him. We need to change our testimony. It's not I gave my heart to Him. He compelled me that I must submit to Him. So isn't there a choice by me? Yes, you can be stiff-necked. Yes, you can resist Him. Yes, you can blaspheme. Yes, you can go against Him and, and be hardened. And you know there's a line drawn in the sand. And you can die without Christ and you can go to hell. So yes, there comes a point where you need to make that decision that you were going to buy. You can't be hardened in your heart. But friend, when He comes to you and the Holy Spirit prompts upon your heart and asks you to repent and keep on asking you, the day when you crack open or when you bow your knees to Him, it's by His might and His power that you are doing it. This is why it's done without hands, He says. It's not you who decide, it's Him. Oh, there's so many people who's got a contentious point about this. Oh no, it's me, I decided. You can't decide anything. Now you've got people coming out in altar calls and they say a five-minute prayer and everybody say they are saved. And you know what I say? Show me the fruit. Show me the fruit. Not you. No, 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 no. I'm not looking for fruit because people can be conditioned. I've seen it. You get one of the most blasphemous people, you put him in the circles of people who do not blaspheme, sooner or later it will, it will wind out because it's the environment that influences that person. You see, in churches you've got a lot of Abram people and Lot people. You know what those are? That's a different message. But let me tell you quickly. Abram is called by God, directed by God, and blessed by God, and Lot follows Abram. Yeah? Even in the churches today, there's Abram and Lot people. There are people who are conditioned by the environment of the church, but never saved. But when those people walk away from the church, they say, there you go, you can fall away, you can. No, 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 they were never saved. Watch out for this. It's nothing you do, it's what Christ do. It's without hands, the Bible say. And when Christ saves you, it's a permanent thing. The fullness comes and He dwells in you. I better hurry on. I can continue. This is wonderful, isn't it? I love the Word of God. I love the Word of God. I don't have to bring a book in here and read your book. Let's get on with the Word of God. Putting off the body of the sin of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Of Christ. Now that's the first thing. It's in Him. 
this circumcision is in him. The second thing is, in verse 12, buried <coughs> with him in baptism. Buried with him in baptism, in whom also you were raised through the faith, the working of God, raising him from the dead, and you being dead in your sins and uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. That's the second great thing about this circumcision. What? He makes you alive. The fleshly one, which is done in hands, is that making you alive? No. It causes pain. Yes. It's got to be done by hands. But this one, what does this do? It brings you alive. This circumcision. And it is in Him with His baptism. Now, the word baptize has literal and a figurative meaning. Literal and figurative. First of all, it's literal. It means to dip and to immerse. And I still believe that if you are born again, you need to be baptized. Not to become part of this church. Not to become part of this church. It's a step of obedience. But figurative, I'm struggling with this word, figuratively, is to be identified with Him. This is why we get baptized. We used to do it in New Zealand at my house's swimming pool. We used to do it in the sea. When you get out to the sea, we walk into the sea, we baptize somebody. What is that person saying to the people standing around? I identify with Christ. He's doing it literally and he's doing it figuratively. I identify with Christ. Let me give you a great example. You remember when, when Corinthians, he says that um, people were identified with Moses when they say they were baptized with, when they went through the Red Sea? There were no water there. They walked through on dry land. But they were identified with Moses. Now through this circumcision we are identified with Christ. So we become alive in Christ. When a person is saved, he is immediately baptized by the Spirit and the body of Christ. That's what 1 Corinthians 12 verse 12 says. We are baptized by the Spirit into the body of Christ. And we are identified with the head, which is Jesus. That's the second thing. First one, it's in Him, this circumcision. Second one, He made you alive. Then He says, blotting out the hand written of the ordinances. This is the law. The law in the Old Testament was a tutor. It showed you that you are imperfect and He's perfect. That's what the law was. It was handwritten ordinances. You have to abide by this. The Ten Commandments. That was against us, he says. But what did he do? He brought out this hand ordinances, which was against us, which was contrary to us, and has taken out the way, nailing it to the cross. What did Christ do? When he came, he fulfilled the law on the Christ for us. He absolutely obeyed the law and then, then He died for us. And then finally this morning, by this circumcision which is in Christ, not in the flesh, having stripped rulers and authorities, He made a show of them publicly, triumphing over them in it. We are victorious in Christ. <clears throat> Then you have these people with ministries who are still battling and fighting demons and they're fighting territorial spirits. Have you heard about that? 
and they want to take on the enemy himself, the devil, and I go, why are you wasting your time? We've got victory in Christ. We've got victory in Christ. I've had a man in New Zealand coming to me and he wanted to me to address a demon spirit in somebody. I said, why would I want to do that? He said, well, Christ did it. I said, why would I want to do that? I'm going to preach the Word of God. And the Word of God will address that demon spirit. Now, if, if, if something needs to happen in, and I've been in environments like that, I can testify about that. But you know, you get ministries now who wants to get young people together and they're going to do what? A teaching on the devil. We're going to teach the children the devil, you know, so that they can be aware and, and you know, what is going on. And we have teachings on, on all of the vices and vials that the enemy, like rock music and all of these things. Man, I, I don't have to come and do this. I preach the Word of God. And you know what it's going to be? It's not going to be by addition that people are going to change. It's going to be by nutrition. It's going to come from the inside out. You fill people with the Word of God and they will change. They will change. Not us, not me, not whatever person do. You know who's going to change them? One of those times, again, where I'm going to go back to the Bible, in 1 John, uh, in John, chapter John, um, John chapter 16. <coughs> this is how it works, friend. In Him dwells the fullness of the Godhead, and you are present tense complete in Him. That's the message today. So when He comes inside of you, who comes inside of you? The Holy Spirit, isn't it? What is the work of the Holy Spirit? Let me read it to you. John chapter 16. And I'm going to read from verse 5, and we're going to finish with that, if somebody can call my lovely wife to come play music. In verse 5, he says, John 15, 16, verse 5, he says, But now I go away to Him who sent me, and none of you ask me, Where are you going? But because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell the truth. It is, no, it, it is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send Him to you. Who's the Helper? The Holy Spirit. Remember the words that I tell you. It's not by addition that you're going to change. It's by nutrition comes from the inside. In verse 8 he says, And when He has come, He will convict the world of sin. You see that? He will convict the world of sin. This is the truth about man. When the Spirit of God comes inside of you, He's going to show you the truth about yourself. He's going to show you your shortcomings. It's happened to me. I'm not standing here sinless perfection in front of you. I still make a lot of mistakes and I still fall short. But every time I do, who's convicting me? The Holy Spirit. Where's the Holy Spirit? It's inside. That's nutrition. He goes, no, John. Johnny, Johnny boy. Oh, Johnny boy. It ain't good. You know what I do? No, no, no. Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord. Not I'm sorry. You know what happens when you say you're sorry? You're only sorry because you're caught out. No, no. Lord, I repent. Oh, please, Lord, help me. 
Not forgive me. Why? Because you've already been forgiven. Oh, that's a different message. <laughs> I've just stepped out there. We'll preach it. No, no, Lord. Please, please, Lord, I repent of this. Help me next time not to do it. This is what the Holy Spirit does from the inside out. And then he says the second thing there. There's three things he says. When he has come, he will convict the world of sin. In other words, sin, it, it shows you the truth about man, the truth about yourself. And then he says, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness. Righteousness. Have you seen that word there, righteousness? What is that? That's the truth about God. So the first one is the truth about man's sin. The second one is the truth about God, righteousness. Do you know there's two kinds of righteousness? The word righteousness, I'm talking fast because I want to say a lot of things now. The, the Righteousness means to live a life acceptable either to self-self-righteousness or acceptable to God, God-righteousness. And here the Holy Spirit is going to come to you and He's going to show you God's righteousness so that you compare. You remember the, the, the one about the mirror? We look into the mirror in James to compare yourself against whom? Against God. And guess who falls short? You. That's the truth about God. 1 John chapter 1, verse 8. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to do what? To forgive us our sins. That's not where the verse stops. And to cleanse us from unrighteousness. When you get saved, it's instantaneous. The Lord saves you. Your sins from the past, present, and future. But the cleansing, look, and I'm not into the cleansing stream teachings now, but the cleansing from the Holy Spirit, which is nutritious inside of you, what has happened now? He gradually changes you into the truth of Christ. Do you get what I'm saying? And then finally, he says there, convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Now, what does the word judgment do? The judgment combines all of these truths into one. Wow. So, what does that mean now? Because he said of sin, which is the truth of man, righteousness, the truth of God, judgment comes and erupts it all around now, so that when we stand in front of God, we're going to be judged according to whose righteousness? His Righteousness. And how in the world do we achieve this? Tell me this morning. I'll tell you. Paul says, in Christ and Christ alone. Friend, you haven't got a chance to, in your own power, stand before God in His judgment and try to be righteous. If you stand in front of God without Christ... Let me say it slowly but surely. You will be in trouble. Get that? So this morning it's Christ and Christ alone. What are you going to remember this week? Christ alone. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you this morning for your word which is so powerful, Lord. Father, we, we haven't even started to find the top layers of the depth thereof. And we thank you for that, Lord. I thank you, Lord, that your word brings life. It brings truth. And this morning, as we've taught through your word, Father, I pray, Lord, that you help us in the warnings of Paul, that you will build our knowledge, build our 
Spirit, Father, and help us to grow in the grace which is through Christ. Thank you, Father, to know in Christ is the fullness and we are complete in Him.